The following is a presentation of Bridges Community Church. Our teacher today is Pastor Ron King. For more information on Bridges Community Church, visit us online at www.bridgescc.org. So we get to be in Romans chapter 1. Would you turn your Bible open to Romans chapter 1? And we're in the second half. If you're brand new with us or you, aren't, you missed last week, that's okay. Don't panic. You can get online and listen to the message. You can dive into God's Word yourself and see the first part of it because the first part in Romans uh, chapter 1 is such good news as, as Pastor Fred was praying about. It is this great news that God has this priceless gift for you. It's the gift of his righteousness. That is whole, healthy, pure, holy relationship between yourself and God and between yourself and other people. It, it's this gift of righteousness. And um, what a fantastic word Romans the first half is to us, and it's going to get even better. Now, this morning, the second half of Romans chapter 1. Years ago, when I was younger and far more adventurous, I signed up for this backpacking trip, a couple, two and a half weeks in the Mojave Desert. I thought it'd be a great idea. And um, I got this big old backpack, you know, and a bunch of us college students, we were tramping around in the desert, and we had um, this topo map, you know, those maps with the little squiggly lines all over them that show elevation, and you're supposed to read where you're going, and you get a little dot on the map for the next day, and you'd hike toward that place, and that's the place where all our water and our food was. And so at the end of the day, after hiking 15, 20 miles with this pack and a long day, you're just like hungry. I don't know if you've ever been backpacking aggressively before, but yeah, that you really, you know, anything... And at the end of this one day, about halfway into the trip, when we're all kind of worn down a little bit, we can't find our dot. We're looking all over for this place, and it gets later and later at night, and we're like more and more hungry. We're, we're really, really hungry at this point. And, um, and it's getting later at night, and then early in the morning, we're still walking around, wandering, wandering around the desert, getting cranky and mad at each other, and just, you know this deep hunger in us, and um, all we could taste was the grit and the sand of the desert. And finally, we discover our, our cache. We finally found the dot where our water and our food was, and it was freeze-dried whatever, but man, that was heaven. Oh, man, it was so good because we were so hungry. And I was imagining, you know, in our minds, we're thinking, wow, what it would be like. We started having this conversation. If all of a sudden, in the middle of the desert, we found this chef who had prepared this gourmet feast for us. How great would that be if all of a sudden you were so hungry that not just freeze-dried stuff, but you found this great, delightful, delectable feast. See, our hunger, when we're really, really hungry, it, it awakens us. And Paul is going to help us get hungry in this passage to see, actually, our own hunger. But there is a serious problem. And the problem is that we are self-satisfied. We feel the hunger for God's righteousness in our life. His gift, His free gift of righteousness, with all kinds of junk 
that will not ultimately satisfy the hunger that we have. And we make all kinds of really foolish trades to get what we hunger for without acknowledging or understanding what God has for us. And in this text this morning, it's, I just have to warn you, it's a really hard text. And it's really hard because God's word loves to do this at times. It just sneaks under our skin and makes us really uncomfortable and speaks to something inside deep within us that we don't want anybody else to see, that we, we don't acknowledge, that we try to do our best to avoid. And yet God wants to speak to our soul, right? And that's one of these passages, the second half of Romans 1, which finds itself in the context of this letter that Paul writes about the good gift that God has given to us in his son and this gift of righteousness that he alone can give and that we really truly do hunger for. I'm going to read the text and then we're going to ask some questions out of that text to try to dig deeper into it. Would you look at Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18 with me? Again, Paul has just said, man, this this gospel, this good news I live for, it's so great. I'm not ashamed of it because it's the power of God for every person to find salvation, the rescue that they so need. And then he says this, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, that is impurity, impiety, the lack and loss of holiness in my life, and unrighteousness, that is the broken relationship that I have through my own willful activities with God first and then with other people of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We actively fight against the truth in the steps that we take. For what can be known about God is plain to them, them being all people of all time, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, not just seen, but understood in our hearts, ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they, that is all people of all time, are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women 
and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy and murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So there's a context for this, right? The context is this wonderful gift of God's righteousness. And um, often the way that I live my life and how I respond to that righteousness, taking it for granted or ignoring it completely. And yet, I have this great need for this righteousness. Uh, The text drives me to ask some questions. There are some fundamental questions, I think, that are underneath this text that hopefully will help you understand what the Lord's word is to you this morning. And the first, we have to start here because it is the foundational question for every person in their life. The way that you respond to this question colors how you see yourself and the priorities that you place in your life and every relationship that you have. The question is, who is God? Now, at the very beginning of Romans, we saw that this is a God of of grace and love and righteousness. And then all of a sudden, the very beginning of this text says, for the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And that doesn't sound like a very nice picture of God, does it? That's, that's difficult for us. We wrestle with that image of God. And, and so in my culture in this day, we have people with all kinds of understandings and pictures that they, they paint of who God is or whether he does even exist at all. And if he does, he's a God of their own creation. As this text in Romans says, they trade the truth of who God is for their own imagination, for their own creation, and that is idolatry. That's the worship of false God. And every person does that. So listen. Listen to this foundational truth. I don't define God. You don't define God. Now, you may come up with all kinds of beliefs about who God is, and your neighbors, your friends at work, people at school, they might have all kinds of understandings of who God is, but listen, you don't define God. God defines himself, and then he defines you. Is that clear? Is that, do you understand that? God is God, and as God, he defines himself. You don't. He gives us his word so that we might know him, his own self-definition of himself that we do not 
define God. And when we have the right view of who God is, then we can understand who we are with him and in relationship to him. So he begins, Paul begins with this statement that arrests our attention about the wrath of God, which doesn't sound like a very nice attribute of God, does it? I've heard people respond to this in a lot of different ways. And um, a foundational question I've heard often asked is, how can a God of love be a God of wrath? How's that possible? My response is, um, that statement alone comes from two different mistaken streams of thought, I believe. The statement, how can a God, the question of love, be a God of wrath? Because it rests on two things that are, that are problems. First, I have this propensity to cherry pick. That is to choose the attributes of God that I really like. God loves me. That's good, right? That's good news. Hello. Like we all appreciate that. We were singing that just a little while ago. It's how great that is. And that is bright and true and good. And, and God is a God of grace and mercy and strength and help in a time of need. There are a lot of attributes of God that I really love. And so then I will see God in that view and not see God as also the attributes that I like to ignore. Like God is a holy God and a just God and a righteous God. A God who cannot stand any unrighteousness because he knows the damage it does to our relationship and the relationships I have to other people. And so God wars against, he battles against unrighteousness for his own glory and for my sake. God is a God of wrath too. But that's hard because I like to cherry pick, but when I do, as Isaiah says in Isaiah 45, 9, it's like the clay saying to the potter, I'll define you. And we're the clay, we're the creation. And for me, as the clay, as the creation, to say to the creator, those kind of things is audacious and it's insidious. It is wrong. So, I can't cherry pick. God is more than just a simple God. He's complex in his attributes, yet perfect. And it also rests on another mistaken stream of thought. The stream of thought that I can assume that God can't be both a God of love and wrath. I have to come to terms with this, that I am unholy and ungodly. And I am unrighteous. I am not righteous. And my sin has deadly consequences. And that all unrighteousness, every sin, it matters to God. Because it wounds me, it diminishes me, it breaks me, and it separates us. And that really matters to a God of love. And he'll do anything, and he has done. He's gone to the greatest extents to be sure that righteousness wins and unrighteousness will be defeated. Now, here's the great news, because um, you need to hear this and take a breath as I speak to the unrighteousness of every person here in the room, because that's hard. 
the word of God continues to say that that's not where it ends. My unrighteousness was poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross so that he who knew no sin, Jesus, who was perfect, would become sin on my behalf. He would take on my unrighteousness, all my guilt and shame and junk, all my sin and separation from God on himself and give me his righteousness, his holiness, his purity. That's the gift. Are you hungry for it? So here's the word. Who is this God? He is this God who loves me and who wars against unrighteousness because of his holiness and his justice. That's not the whole complete picture of who God is. If you want a deeper understanding, keep reading in God's word. And we've got some other resources we would love to get in your hands if you, if you want to go deeper in your theology. Here's the second question. Who stands responsible before God? This is the point of this section of God's word in Romans, this passage, to answer this question, who stands responsible for God? And and Paul is making a forensic case, a a legal case, like if you watch Law and Order or whatever you watch that that helps you understand the legal process, he's going to build a case to help us understand the thing that we like to avoid the most, the hard truth of our reality, our humanity, our brokenness, that we are guilty before a holy God. But we're pretty good, aren't we? And my, my neighbor, he's actually pretty good. He does a lot of good things. Isn't that good enough? Isn't that okay? The truth of this, this passage is that God's argument is that every person through all time stands responsible before God and without excuse, without excuse. Why? Why is that? Well, the first first case is that God has revealed himself to every person throughout time, regardless of where they are, find themselves, through his created order, what he has made. Help us understand that and be encouraged with that. We've got a a video, a short video, just to encourage us with that truth.
So what is it that this truth of God's creation proclaims? It's that God is eternally powerful and obviously divine. And his beauty, his glory, his holiness and majesty, they move us. They're intended to move us, to move you and to move me, to worship and to thanksgiving, to worship him alone as God alone. And to create in me a spirit of rejoicing and thanksgiving for his goodness and his, his kindness to me. This is where creation leads me. And yet, this text says, we have made this foolish trade, the trade for the immortal God, this God who calls us, inspires us to worship, for false images, for idols of our own creation. Yeah, our, our idols can be objects, they can also be relationships. They can be my bank account. They can, there's a long list because we're so creative, right, at shaping idols. And we have become ungrateful. We have ignored the grace of God. Not only do we all participate in ungodliness, Paul is arguing, we are all unrighteous. Aren't you glad you came this morning? Yeah. So what are those foolish exchanges that I make? Paul uses that phrase three different times in this short passage that, that we make exchanges, foolish trades. Don't know if you've ever done this in your life. I sure have on a number of occasions. Made a foolish exchange, traded, you know, bought something that I regret afterwards and thought, oh, what was I thinking? Why did I pay all that, you know? And here's an ad for $25 off or whatever it might be. I've made this foolish exchange. But here, for the most significant thing in my life, the most important thing, that is my relationship to God, I make this stupid change. It's foolish. That's Paul's argument, that every person makes this kind of foolish exchange, that we're all knuckleheads, that we're all foolish and stupid. That's hard. It's hard for me. To acknowledge, first, Paul says, we make this exchange for who God is, the immortal God, for these false images in our lives. And then we exchange falsely the worship of God, the creator, this wonderful God who loves us and is majestic for the creation, for relationships with other people. I make these false exchanges and I ignore who God is, and I make these compromises that are sinful in my life because of this false exchange. And then I exchange what's true and right and should be healthy and good in my sexuality for something that's broken. We exchange minds and hearts that acknowledge God for foolish thinking and in this text, every kind of self-destructive behavior imaginable. And it cheapens us. It diminishes us. It breaks us. It destroys us and leads to death. That's, that's just hard, isn't it? Just, that's just hard. And humbling. Here's the fourth question I want us to wrestle with a bit. What happens 
when God's word clashes with current cultural mores, especially in the case of my sexuality. As you read through this text, because of our cultural conditioning, you heard Paul's statements. And perhaps you focused in on a particular sin that Paul listed. I'm willing to bet that that sin probably is not yours that you targeted first. Because it's really easy for us to see the sin in other people's experience in their life and to acknowledge that and say, yeah, that's the sin. You know, they, I, I know that sin. And yet not on the other sins. There's a whole list of them, right? And in fact, Paul gives a, a whole dictionary of sins. Big sins, like the ones that are general categories, and specific sins when you gossip or when you slander or when you're disobedient to parents. There's some, I mean... Nobody's off the hook on this one, right? In Paul's context in Rome that he's writing to, these believers, there was rampant self-destructive behavior going on in people's sexuality. Multiple wives, the abuse of women, sexual abuse in homosexual relationships, activities, and the abuse of children. In fact, Caesar himself was well known to be an abuser of little boys. And Paul writes this to help them get clear how far we have fallen and what the exchanges have done to that personal part that God has given to us as this wonderful gift, our, our sexuality, and when it breaks and when it heads down the wrong direction. Now, just so we're all clear on this, the text does not become a tirade about homosexual activity, but it does clearly say that that is unrighteous, that that's a part of our brokenness, it's sin. But it also calls all kinds of other things in our life sin, doesn't it? And the point, the ultimate point is that we are all guilty before the Lord. We're all broken before Him and in need of his righteousness. And when culture, what it says, goes against God's word, I have a choice. I have a choice this week. I'm going to have it multiple times this week, whether to live for what God's word says and the biblical model and truth of God's word or to live according to what my culture says and to live according to the compromises, the foolish trades my culture makes. And when culture clashes with biblical truth, it's just foolish to choose culture because that leads to the diminishing of my humanity. It leads to my brokenness. It leads to separation between myself and God. One more really fun question. Who deserves to die? Now, I really would love to be a the one that gives what seems to be a compassionate response that no one really deserves to die, right? Because we're all fundamentally good and nice people. There are a lot of really nice people here. I see your faces. I really like you. Does the person next to you, that really nice person, really deserve to die? Is that, is that just? How can that possibly be fair? But this text actually is making a very strong case 
that every person intentionally suppresses the truth and lives in disobedience actively with knowledge against who God is, failing to worship him but worshiping false things, making these foolish exchanges in our lives and trade-offs in our lives. And every sin and all of our sin are affronts to the righteousness of a holy God, and they lead to our death. Paul will later say, the wages of sin is Yeah, but that's not the end of the verse, is it? It's not the end of that verse in Romans. But the gift of God, the gift being his righteousness expressed and given to us, offered to us through what Jesus did on the cross, conquering my sin and shame and rising from the dead to conquer death. That gift, if I just place my faith in him, it conquers all this. But you see, I won't hunger and thirst for it. I want to recognize how much I need the righteousness of God if I don't face squarely my own personal brokenness, my own personal sinfulness. As Paul would say, man, I'm chief. I am I'm the biggest one. Listen, brothers and sisters, I am the chief sinner here in this room. I, I just know that deeply. And my selfishness and my brokenness, the things that I do, things that I think. And yet the righteousness of God has been given to me by faith, not by what I've done to earn it, but by his grace because he is a loving God who wars against the unrighteousness and the brokenness in my own life. In chapter 1, before this text that we just discovered, the gospel of Jesus is made known in all its beauty and power and grace. Remember I said that last week. It's this good news of what Jesus has done. That's, that's what makes this so starkly great. So um, Sue and I had the privilege of spending five years in Michigan. And those of you who have spent time, there was somebody I just met from Michigan. Where are you? You're visiting with us right over here. Yeah, it's great. Um, anyway, she was, we were just saying, oh yeah, I've got an illustration from Michigan this morning. So Michigan, the winters are long, not like here. This is, by the way, this is not winter. Did you know that? And, and winters can be long. And what that means is that you will not see flowers. You won't see buds on trees. All the trees outside, you look outside, they're all blossoming. It's beautiful. You won't see that in Michigan today. And the winters can be bleak, stark. But you know what happens? Right around my wife's birthday, the buds come out. The crocuses start to pop up and the tulips come. You're like, oh, that is so great. You've just been waiting for it because you've been in this season of darkness and bleakness. And now it's flowering. And that's the righteousness of God. That all through the bleakness of my sin and separation from God, all of a sudden it pops out. And I go, wow, that's good news. But I won't get that if I don't recognize how bleak my condition is and the condition of the people that I love and my neighbors and the people I work with in our school, I won't pray passionately for them to discover the righteousness of God and find salvation if I don't get it, if I don't understand it. Because the gospel, this good news that Jesus lived a perfect life, he died for me and rose again and offers me his righteousness It is the power of God for salvation. 
can I say that again so maybe I'll get an amen? It's, it's the power of God for your rescue and salvation. So our ungodliness and unrighteousness does not leave us without hope. You and I, this morning, we can be people of really great hope because of what God has done, his gift of righteousness, not of our own self, but because of what he has done for us. And in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed and it's offered to us freely. How sweet is that? I don't know how you walked in this door this morning, but if you came full of yourself or in denial with all the stuff that has broken your relationships, and primarily I'm speaking of your relationship with God, but with other people too, because it always affects them. If you have come in that mode, I hope you know that before a righteous and holy God who loves you, you're guilty, just like the person sitting next to you. That, that's all of our condition. Even the nicest among us, it's all of our condition. But it doesn't have to stay that way. You don't have to leave today without hope. You can, you can change it, not in and of your own strength, but you can receive the righteousness of God simply by confessing before the Lord freely and honestly, God, I need you. I confess my sin to you, and I want to receive your righteousness. I'm going to trust you. Take a moment right now, and just if that's where you are, you just simply talk to God. Just be quiet, and for the rest of us, start praying. Right? Just come before the Lord and be honest with him for a moment. Would you please trust the Lord and his goodness, his right relationship that he's offering to you. Just speak it out right now before the Lord, quietly in your heart. And perhaps you're a follower of Jesus. You have at one point made that step. You have, you have received the righteousness of God, and yet you find yourself today with all kinds of foolish exchanges in your life that keep you from worshiping the immortal God. That keep you from his intent for you to be thankful and to worship him. And if that's where you find yourself, just confess it before the Lord and seek the refreshing of his righteousness once more. Just do that just, just now. Just be honest before the Lord. Bring those things before him. Father, we, we need your righteousness more than any other thing. The righteousness you have in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and that we, Father, spur us to be people who stop making foolish choices and who embrace your righteousness for us. In Christ's name and all God's people said,
Thank you for listening to audio from Bridges Community Church, located in Fremont, California. For more information about Bridges Community Church, please visit us online at www.bridgescc.org.